Welcome to the Customer First Podcast, hosted today by Julio Hernandez. Julio leads KPMG's Global Customer Center of Excellence, which works alongside the network of KPMG firms to help clients deliver profitable growth by putting their customers at the heart of their business. So I'm very happy today to have both Terry Walls and Lisa Bora join me to talk about the future of customer service and the connected front office. In today's environment, there is a lot of change and there's a lot of pressure on our clients and the marketplace to take care of customers, especially with the spike of volumes and interest in understanding what's happening with the businesses they're interacting with. So I'm really pleased to talk to them today about intentional customer service, intentional customer experience, designing from the customer back. So Lisa and Terry, very much welcome to the, to the, to the conversation. Lisa, what are you seeing with your clients today in, in terms of intentionality of delivering a great customer experience in the customer service environment? I think the key thing that we're seeing um, is very much that customer service is now even more critical uh, than ever before. We've often spoken about the age of the customer, but whenever we see disruption in any landscape, it heightens the need to invest and focus on it. So from our perspective, those conversations are more entrenched uh, they're more critical to a business and its recovery, and it is enterprise-wide. So, Terry, when you think about delivering great customer experiences in the customer service environment today, what are you talking to your clients about, and what are they thinking, especially with their existing customers today? Yeah, I think there's a there's a multitude of types of conversations that are happening, but I think they can be distilled down into, I would say, like three or four main topics. You know, so Lisa talked about, you know, the importance of customer service, you know, happening with all the pressures that are happening currently. I think though there's a group of clients who are already starting to think about, you know, well, what's next, right? We've experienced, you know, a set of pressures and challenges here. As we come out of this, how are we going to have to, you know, if you want to call it uh, future fit, you know, be able to think about our operating model in a different way because I think uh, these challenges that some of our clients are having today have really opened their eyes to maybe how inefficient their operating model as well as, you know, this idea around being intentional where they didn't invest that time. I think being intentional versus just being, you know, sitting there and waiting for your customer to reach out to you are two completely different things. And a number of our clients have realized that it is different and that they're going to at some point have to spend the time and the effort to think about in the, making the investments around what it means to be intentional and be out in front and being proactive with customers as opposed to waiting for to respond to needs. Um, just further to what Terry said, I think also what we're seeing more and more is that we've often spoken about the deep connectivity of customer experience and service and that of employee experience. And I think now more than ever, those two things are deeply intertwined. So we are seeing very much that employee experience is equally as important to our clients now, because without that, um, true customer centricity is not able to be enabled. So when you think about that also in the context of just the stress and the pressure that uh, individuals and, and enterprises are feeling today, um, around just navigating the here and the now. How do clients think about the emotive connection that they have with their customer? 
and especially in the of the question around employee and customer centricity, how do they think about that when they're trying to leverage digital channels as opposed to voice to voice channels? I think so. Uh, the first thing I would say is if I think about being able to answer that need, if you think about it, a channel is is only a channel is only a channel. It's it's a best it's a vessel to be able to interact with the customer, and more important than, if you will, the channel and the method by which they do it firsthand, or, or firstly, is this idea around how do I think about my processes and my policies? What are the things that I just need to, you know, so it may be that one of the leading uh, telecommunications uh, organizations here in the United States uh, that handles, you know, internet service, you know, basically decided on a policy that they were going to, you know, eliminate, if you will, overage charges on data for the foreseeable future. And there, I think it accomplished two things, right? The, the first thing is that policy allowed them to show their customer base that they really get the challenges that they're having to deal with, right? So if you've got you know, kids at home and they're, you know, using teleconferencing for school, both parents are trying to work, et cetera. Naturally, there's going to be an overage in data. And so, you know, by them looking at their policies and saying, what are those things that right now we just need to either forego or we need to change, customers are going to be like, wow, you get me. You understand, you know, the challenges that we're facing. On the flip side of that, when a, when a company has done that, especially in this example, what the company says, you know, hey, this benefits us too because it kind of simplifies, you know, if you will, kind of like our business model. It's going to eliminate a significant amount of calls where people would call us and invariably say, listen, can you just, you know, can you give me credit on this? You know, I'm a loyal customer. You know, I've always paid my bills and this is what's going on right now you eliminate all those calls coming in, you're invariably reducing your cost uh, while at the same time showing your customers that you care. So I think it's, it's less about first channel and it's more about first, what are my policies and my processes that are going to impact my customers? Um, and thereby then, you know, if you will, kind of flipping the dynamic around how I interact with them. Thanks, Terry. So, Lisa, if we think about the KPMG's six pillars of customer experience, one of the pillars is empathy. How are you advising your clients to to embrace this concept of um, empathy, especially uh, in the early stages of the challenges we've had? Pillars uh, of customer experience have been absolutely critical uh, for our clients uh, most recently. I think for myself, we always start off referencing those because they're firstly a great compass for organisations to use in their operational planning. Um, we're finding very much that their simple frameworks of focus for their teams in their channel development, in their customer engagement and in their prioritisation. And clearly empathy is absolutely critical uh, now more than ever. Uh, we are under really uncertain times and with uncertainty is a need for empathy above anything else. Uh, in addition to, you know, clear communication um, and being responsive. So uh, from our perspective, empathy is critical. It's recognising also that empathy needs to differ depending on the customer segments that you have because no one version of the truth applies to all customers. And now more than ever, we have economic uncertainty and therefore that empathetic nature and hardship management is going to be crucial. 
You know, that's very interesting. And it really, it triggers this thought, right, about really understanding and responding to your customers. So, you know, Terry talked about some policies and procedures around, for instance, billing for data overages, but at the same time, understanding customers and responding to them, especially um, as companies start to think about not only personalization, but just basically representing and, and, and serving the customer in the right way. So, Terry, how are, you know, you seeing others respond to this need to have a, a deeper customer understanding and then tailor the treatments accordingly? Well, I, I think, you know, you can look at it through two different lenses. There's the business-to-consumer lens, and then there's the business-to-business lens. And I think, you know, so, so for example, like in business-to-business, you know, our, you know, a lot of our models typically are that you have, like, a, you know, a small inside sales team uh, that supports a larger, you know, field sales team that also has, you know, some sort of account management or commercial management that involves service, right? Well, right now, everybody's an inside sales team and an inside support team. And so, you know, what we're seeing are clients trying to think about, okay, I've got um, I've got a different model here where I can't necessarily uh, have face-to-face interactions with my customers, and I've got to be thinking about interacting and supporting them and servicing them in a different way. And at the same time, though, I need to be thinking about how do I deliver, you know, what's relevant to them, right? Because time is valuable and, and even more so now. So how do I make sure that I'm you know, creating, if you will, the linkages between, you know, my teams that invariably had some sort of part of the life cycle that touch service and, and how do I configure them in a way that makes it as effective for that business to business customer so that we're giving them the right touch on the business to consumer side. Right. I think the most important thing that, um, you know, I see customers um, responding to, and where companies are trying to focus is, if you will, engagement. And so, again, this whole idea around proactivity, like, you know, how can I tap into what I know most about you and what I think that you need the most of? So this isn't about how do I, you know, uh, how do I sit back and wait for the marketing organization uh, just to, to bombard you with, you know, all kinds of, you know, emails, coupons, offers and things that just, you know, trying to gin up, you know, demand. The best organizations I see where the marketing and the service teams are working together to say, you know, hey, here are the certain things that we need to deliver from an insights perspective that are relevant for a customer so that it becomes more of about the relationship as opposed to what the product or the, you know, the service that they're selling. Uh, to be able to, to kind of engage because customers right now are just being so, so bombarded with messages and advertisements. Uh, you have to be able to cut through that noise. And the way that I'm seeing organizations doing it is thinking about this focus on engagement. So Lisa, if you think about this engagement model and this idea, you know, it's a good call out Terry where, you know, you don't have outside salespeople anymore. You don't have, you know, marketing is inside. You know, sales is inside, service is inside. A lot of the work is either being done on the phone or it's being done with digital channels. Um, how, Lisa, are you helping your clients to break down the barriers between the front, middle, and the, um, and the front and the middle, sales, marketing, and service, 
so that they can actually uh, have a better informed perspective of the customer, but also prioritize the communications out to the customer. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a development on what Terry said earlier. I think what we're now seeing is very much a more drilled focus down into customer engagement, into acquisition, and also into retention. And with that is the alignment of the enterprise against those three areas. Um, Obviously, engagement is critical to those customers that you already have business with and to try try and retain loyalty towards. But there's a lot more of a renewed focus now in both B2B and B2C environments of driving new customer acquisition, considering trial into your brand, and also in obviously looking at the data and ensuring that you're definitely on top of any leakage that you're seeing in terms of churn. So from our perspective in clients that are in the B2B segments, we're seeing significant shifts in collaboration of marketing and sales teams because the traditional call cycles and the geographic coverage that one needed to do to meet some of your sales criteria are now definitely under change. Everything is being digitally enabled, which means that collaboration is far stronger. You actually get to have far more call and account frequency because you've got less transit time. And so what we're seeing is a lot more proactive content-led discussions that you can bring subject matter experts into versus traditional transaction-based selling. And on the B2C side, you know, we're seeing a lot of workforce reshaping. If you think about industries that have been highly reliant on human capital, such as retail, such as telco, there is a lot more workforce reshaping, a lot more collaboration, um, and moving people that were traditionally pivoted to providing physical experience through great retail to now moving to dark stores and back-of-house operations to fulfill an ongoing e-commerce growth that we're experiencing right now. Right. So there's an increased need for collaboration, an increased need for knowledge sharing, and just a kind of recognition that it's a team effort to really, especially in the B2B environment, support both the outreach from marketing and the outreach from sales in in a much more coordinated way. And this idea of workforce shaping is, is also very interesting because some of the roles are changing. So as you think about these roles changing and and folks taking on a little bit more complex types of issues, how do you think the workforce is going to need to evolve to be able to support these complex uh, needs? To be honest with you, I think the the way that many companies have thought about it, I think erroneously to begin with is that, hey, you know, this whole idea around automation will eliminate, you know, the need for a lot of the workforce, right? And that started a few years ago. And I think what we're going to see is that, you know, this isn't about machine or human, it's machine and human working together, right? And I think that's where you're starting to see a lot of the dialogue start to to really, I, I think, take shape is, you know, our employees, and it goes back to this whole point that you were talking about earlier, Julio, around, you know, this empathy and like how to, you know, because when times are tough, people need people, right? Especially when there's, when there's complicated situations going on. Um, so there's always going to be a need uh, or an opportunity for us to be able to automate simple transactional tasks. There always will be. And I think, uh, can companies do more of that? Yes. But I think what organizations are starting to see is that, A, you can't automate everything. B, 
there are going to be complicated things that only, you know, somebody who has good, just expert knowledge and can have the, you know, that right touch with a customer that only that, that type of a resource can be able to help. So how do you, how do you equip and you arm that individual, that, that person from your workforce with the resources and tools to make sure that a, they understand who the customer is, B, understand what the situation is that that customer, um, you know, is facing or could be facing, and C, be able to connect all the dots to be able to say, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to own this. I'm going to help you through whatever this complex situation is. And they fundamentally are more of a, if you will, a relationship manager and a case manager as opposed to a button pusher, right? And so I think organizations are fundamentally looking at how do I, for my, my individuals who care and feed uh, for my customers, how can I equip them in the right way so that they can connect the dots and truly understand what the customer needs and who they are so that we can continue to deliver that service that our customers need, right? So it's not about how do I reduce my workforce as much as it is. It's like how do I, how do I use my workforce in the right way when my customers have those specific needs that I can't automate? So, Lisa, Terry talked a lot about responding, right? It's, it's not a button-pushing job anymore, so to speak. Uh, he talked about, resp- you know, changing the pivot from responding. So the corollary to that, right, would be being proactive. So if you think about orchestrating great customer experiences and con- doing it in a converged front office way across multiple touch points and the functions of marketing, sales, and service, how do you become proactive? Well, I think the key thing is to to make sure that you're really clear um, against those three, um, I guess, focus areas of you've got to be proactive when it comes to acquisition, equally proactive when it comes to engagement with current loyal customers, and definitely um, proactive in looking at leakage and retention measures and driving the whole workforce towards analysing that data, testing and learning against programs that you initiate and learning from those. But I think the key thing in all of this is um, definitely ensuring that you've got the right metrics in place to deliver success against these initiatives. So from our perspective, you know, back to Terry's point earlier, um, automation, um, digitisation, they're all benefits to great service from our employees. And I think the key thing that's happening here is it leads to greater personalisation and actually flexible arrangements. I think now more than ever, um, we've got workforces that are more flexible, that are, that are not bound to a geography or centralised location, as we're seeing particularly in the telco industry, where now remote working that were historically delivered through um, centralised call centre functions are now being delivered very successfully in a home office scenario. Right, so they're able to flex that capacity. I know it's amazing, I mean, across industry over industry over industry, the pivot from basically being on-prem to work anywhere, work from home uh, has been incredible and leveraging the distributed uh, technology and telephony is really has made a difference and and a lot of companies engage with their customers. So Terry, do you have an example of an enterprise that's actually doing a great job being proactive with the service experience today? Yeah, I do, Julio. I I think the the one thing that you have to look at is like across, you know, so each industry has started to to start to think about how they can leverage the data about their customers, 
how they can leverage the, you know, if you will, um, not only about who the customer is, about the services that they're consuming, and then how do you start to get out in front of that, right? And I think in the financial services industry, you know, here in the United States, and especially around the credit card business, you all, you know, so the last few years, you know, um, I think organizations, credit card businesses have tried to look at fraud as a way of, you know, getting out ahead of just risk and exposure from a financial perspective. But what they realized was that they could engineer a great experience, right? So let me give you an example. It used to be like, you know, so uh, risk organizations started using data and analytics to identify potential fraudulent situations. And the models would be, you know, conservative. They're, they're trying to make sure that they find every opportunity. So there's a lot of false positives. And what they would do initially, you know, a few years ago was they'd immediately shut the car down. Me as the customer, you didn't know about, you know, the car being shut down. If you went to a store and tried to use your car, realizing that it was declined, you call and then they say, well, we suspected that you had fraud on the car. And you said, well, no, that's actually my purchase. And now we have to go through this whole painful ordeal of trying to get uh, a new card or get that card reactivated. And the company has spent a lot of money to only have you call them and complain. And so they were able to start thinking about proactive service in a different way and saying, hey, we're going to continue to have, like, if you will, this conservative mindset in our models. But now let's use, in effect, let's use inexpensive communication channels that where we can reach out to the customer via text message or a push notification on the app and say, was this, you know, your, was this your purchase? And if it wasn't, okay, shut down the card. Now we can work through that process of getting you a new card and all that stuff. But if it was your purchase and you respond back, yes, it's my purchase, everything's good, right? And so the, the customer appreciates being, you know, asked and, you know, the company being proactive around, you know, hey, we, we just want to make sure before we do anything else. So the financial services companies now have taken that and now they have started to, you know, use that to continue to have conversations with the customers. For example, you know, the credit card companies starting to look at, hey, your spending patterns and said, hey, we noticed that, you know, your spending on your electric bill this past month was 75% higher than it was in previous months. You know, you might want to take a look at that, right? So it's, it's those types of things now where it's moved from like risk prevention exercises, engineering into a really good experience to now, how can we be more consultative so that our, our customers are like, wow, they're actually looking out for me and that this is a win-win proposition. So I, I think that's a great example of, of what you're seeing in the United States in terms of where proactive service is going. And Lisa, are there examples down under that uh, that uh, that you think would be worthy of calling out? Yeah, I think our telcos have done a significant job with the collaboration with MBN, our national broadband um, service provider. I think you know the critical thing is um, the experience of having more isolation and time at home has meant that there's a growth in streaming, um, a growth in online learning um, that's taking place as we're um, homeschooling our children. With all of that in place, internet connectivity becomes even more important. And so the industry has really had to collaborate and really triage around customer service, both in terms of preemptive measures, but also in triaging, I guess, current negative experiences. So using deep analytics there, 
looking at speed plans, providing suggestions as to where clients should move and consider, providing provisions for hardship and payments, and being really proactive in monitoring um, adoption of, um, of your plan and accessing information online has been critical to them delivering great service. And then on the flip side, I think there are categories that are really driving opportunity that historically has relied on footfall. I think the beauty industry is doing a fabulous job in looking at purchasing behaviour and, tr and using that to predict when replenishment of supply might be needed and suggesting that they buy online now when obviously traditional stores are no, no longer open. So I think there's just the proactive scenario and then there's obviously the measuring and monitoring of, of internet connectivity that's being done really well in Australia. Interesting. So to, in today's conversation, we talked a little bit about KPMG's six pillars of customer experience and the importance of empathy, the need to, to maintain integrity, the idea around time and effort, resolution, to name a couple of them. As we think about just, you know, the end of this conversation, what do you think the biggest challenges for our clients who really want to continue to make this pivot to becoming customer-centric in an environment where, you know, it's very distributed and people are having to align the organization remotely? What do you see the biggest challenges to becoming customer-centric are for these companies? I think the challenge that organizations are going to have to think about in the next year as budgets are going to be extremely hard-pressed, right, in terms of, uh, the, of where they can make in investments and where they think that they're going to have to, to cut costs. They're going to have to be very present-minded around what are those things that matter most to customers, right? Because we, we know that delivering a great experience um, can, you know, can be met with, you know, spending too much when we're not spending it on the right things, right? If we far and away exceed our expectations of our customers, we lose profit. And as we start to think about having to reduce costs or dealing with, you know, limited budgets, we risk the ability or we, we, we risk the, you know, the outcome of not meeting customers' expectations. And so to me, the biggest challenge this next year, you know, um, is going to be for companies to think about where the things that are going to be the most important that they're going to either A, have to invest in or be able to invest in or um, B, um, that they're going to have to protect so that, uh, as they, you know, as, as customers continue to have expectations, what are what are those right things? Uh, you know, is, you know. So if you think about just very easy, simple things, you know, my hours of operation, you know, how quickly I can respond to a customer, you know, the amount of, you know, uh, if you will, um, customer, you know, uh, customer givebacks or you know, customer credits that I can consume. You know, all of those types of things are financial decisions, um, but you have to understand, well, what matters to your customer at the end of the day so that as you're dealing with the pressures of your budgets and your costs relative to the expectations of the customers, you can, you can try to figure out what the balance is. And Lisa, what do you think? Uh, I think what Terry mentioned in terms of the ROI um, is absolutely critical. And I think the reality is that also customer experience is never static. So to assume you've aced it um, ever is a fallacy. It's one of a continual trend 
and it's one of continually learning from other categories and industries as our experiences are set by our whole of life experience. And so I think that's just a, an ongoing challenge is that um, once you feel you've nailed it, um, you move on to a new set of requirements by our customers. But the other one is that no one-size-fits-all service model works. Um, there are too many service delivery plans that assume all customers want the same thing. And so what is critical is recognising that for some, it's really personalisation, others, it's human service, and others, it's actually the service that extends beyond the transaction in terms of flexible returns and aftercare. So all of that is really critical, and building that detail and flexibility is going to be key. Well, I want to thank both you, Terry and Lisa, for joining me today to talk about customer experience in the context of the here and now and how some of our clients and others are thinking through navigating delivering a better customer experience and really balancing the real-world challenges they're going to have moving forward around budgets, attention, and a distributed workforce. So thank you for taking time to talk to us today, and we very much appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you to all of the guests on today's episode. Join us next time as we continue our discussions on being customer first. If you would like to subscribe to our podcasts or read our growing library of blogs, visit kpmg.com forward slash customer first. Thanks for listening. Until the next time. Goodbye.